You are listening to The Happy Gynecologist with your host, Amanda Miles, MD. Hey, y'all. Welcome back to The Happy Gynecologist, episode number 78, How to Have Tough Conversations Without Being Emotionally Drained. (laughs) All right, before we get started today, I want to thank each and every one of you for joining me. I want you to know that whatever you're going through right now, whether that's a tough time, a great time, I just want you to know that you have people that love you. I love you. I think about you guys just so much. Um, whenever I'm going throughout my day, I'm like, ooh, I should talk about that on the Happy Gynecologist. I should tell, tell my buddies. And I really feel like I'm talking with, free, uh, with my friends each week as I record this. So thank you for being there for me just as much as I am there for you, friend. I appreciate you. So this week, as we dive in, I want to talk about a tool that has really helped me be less emotionally drained at the end of the day, okay? And so especially after a long day of clinic, because this used to be me all the time. I was frequently feeling just exhausted after, you know, just having a long talk with a patient or having a longer visit. And it could have been like the first visit of the day and I would come out and I would just feel drained. And I think you know, I think it happened probably more with tough conversations, um, the types that we have to have as OBGYNs, but I think it can also happen after just a regular, like, well-woman exam as well. So, you know, so sometimes, you know, we walk out of a room and we just feel like we need to collapse into our office chair and sit there for a minute to recover. That's what I mean. I, I don't want you to feel drained by every encounter, Okay. Or maybe you get home and you just don't have um, as much energy um, to even talk to anybody. You don't have energy to even talk to anybody or connect with your family. You just feel like like you're just burned, toasty, crispy, burnt out almost, or just emotionally drained or just exhausted emotionally, even though you haven't, you know, done anything physical or maybe you're well rested. You just feel over it. You don't have the energy to even like muster up, um, you know, good conversation with your own family. And so I think that when I started using this tool, it really started changing how I was able to come home and just like have a good time and rest and relax and and enjoy my family. And, um, And also, it really helped me get through kind of those tougher conversations that we have, um, especially in the setting of like having to have one of these really tough conversations and then just like, boom, go into the next room, right? And so, you know, the other thing I want you to think about is that these conversations, they, you know, any type of conversation can be more draining whenever you're in survival mode, okay? Maybe you're, you know, missing some sleep, after being on call, you're not getting enough rest, or you're just not um, de-stressing like maybe you you had been, and so now you're just feeling, um, you know, even more emotionally exhausted. And um, you know, so remember that emotional exhaustion is on the continuum of burnout. It's one of the symptoms of burnout, right? And so I think that the reason for this is is like whenever you're functioning from your primitive brain, you have a hard time staying out of the negative emotions when you're functioning from that part of your brain, right? And that's where you're at when you're burnt out, when you're, you know, low on sleep, you're in survival mode. Um, And so whenever you're functioning from that part of your brain, it's kind of like, 
everything is negative, right? Everything that you see is negative, but also your tolerance for other people and their negative emotions is much smaller. And so you can't interact with them from a place that keeps you um, from getting involved emotionally almost. And so so I want you to kind of think about that, that if um, you find yourself really feeling drained emotionally at the end of each day, you know, make sure that you're, you know, you're really working on de-stressing, getting enough sleep, doing your basic human needs, um, and and also, you know, doing something to work on burnout if you feel like that you are already there, okay? And so you can listen to a lot of the other podcast episodes. We have a lot of ways to get out of burnout, but you might need to really focus on that before you're able to um, use this tool that I'm going to explain to you today. So, um, the other thing, you know, I also like to think that topics like miscarriages or cancer diagnoses, they're really hard for us sometimes because we really care for our patients and we want to help them or we want to fix it. But whenever it comes to these really tough topics, we can't fix it. And so sometimes we end up taking on a lot of a lot of these negative emotions because we can't fix it and we can't make it better. So maybe then we, you know, kind of feel the patient's negative emotions or take on their negative emotions um, because we can't quite make it better. Or maybe we even give ourselves more negative emotions because we're kind of beating ourselves up a little bit or think, you know, thinking things like, well, I wish I could just get rid of this for them, or I wish I could, you know, change the the outcome here. Right. Um, And so I wish I could, I could make them feel happy, you know? And so, you know, having tough conversations like these, they can feel really painful. Um, And so often we kind of learn to become feeling stuffers. We've talked about that in the past where, you know, if we have a feeling, we kind of stuff it down. We don't want it to, to feel painful. And so whenever we get used to doing that, we tend to shut down emotionally. Um, We have trouble really feeling our feelings at all. So, you know, whenever we're in that place of stuffing our feelings down, ignoring them, then we're going to feel drained. We're going to feel emotionally exhausted more frequently because we are essentially carrying a lot of that emotional weight around with us. And so, yeah, it's going to tire out, uh, tire us out a lot quicker. So today I kind of want to talk to you about a tool that we can employ when interacting with our patients um, or other people we know, or even ourselves. And it allows us to be present and caring and, but in a way that, that validates feelings, okay, validates the other person's feelings, but you know, also in a way that doesn't stuff ours down, uh, and it doesn't end up with us feeling emotionally exhausted, okay, and this tool is called holding space, okay, and so I've mentioned this term probably here and there, and you've probably heard it talked about, like, oh yeah, I just when my friend and I held space for her, um, or maybe you've heard it talked about in the therapy, um, kind of realm, um, as coaches, we are, we are taught this, but we are not the only ones that are taught this, you know, counselors, therapists, um, you know, even psychiatrists, I'm sure, um, you know, this is like a thing that probably comes out of their realm. And so, um, (laughs) so they're way more familiar with it than we just as physicians are. Um, so if you've heard of it, yeah. Okay. Let me go through exactly what it means. Okay. And essentially what it means is that you are holding an open space either for someone else or yourself. That is this safe and judgment-free zone, um, for that person to safely express and to safely feel their emotions. Okay. And so 
what I want you to know is that it's, it's more than just being a good listener. Okay. So we as physicians, we're good listeners. We know how to listen to people. Um, we're very good at that. We're very good at talking and listening and then giving advice. Um, but whenever we hold space in a healthy way, it can also be protective for us as physicians against that emotional exhaustion and against burnout. So it's way more than just listening. Okay. So when we picture holding space, this is an active process. And what I want to teach you is how to do this in a way that helps you stay in your prefrontal cortex and it allows you to show up for your patients in a way that makes you feel proud to be their doctor, but that doesn't drag you down for the rest of the day, okay? Now, your brain may already be fast forwarding to, well, I don't have time for that. I only have like three minutes per patient. I don't need anything that's going to take more time. I already am overwhelmed, you know. So take some deep calming breaths. Reassure your your brain, okay, that part of your brain, that this may help you save time and energy in the long run if you really work on developing this skill, okay? Because I know it can kind of sound like woo-woo. It can kind of sound, you know, new age. It can kind of sound like all that stuff. But what this does is I want you to think of it more as a, um, emotional protection for you. Okay. And so, um, you know, so as a coach, that is something that, um, they taught us from day one was that I have to protect myself. I can't just be getting, you know, into, into my emotions with every client because that's just going to wear me down real quick. Okay. And so same thing here, we can do this with our patients as physicians as well. So to start before you hold space, I want you to always think about clearing your mind, okay? Anytime you're holding space, you need to clear your mind of, of all the thoughts, all the feelings, okay? You can do this and however, you know, works for you, but maybe this is taking some really big deep breaths in and out, or maybe this is by doing a quick thought download, okay, where you write down all of your thoughts. Um, and so you need to get in the habit of like clearing your mind before you go into the patient room, okay? I like to do this with... Um, some big deep breaths or even some box breathing before I go into the next room. So after you do that, after you clear your mind, then I want you to focus on feeling um, either compassion or love, okay? Feel that for yourself, for the person that you're about to interact with. And it doesn't have to be like you're in love with someone. You just have to feel love towards someone like as another human being, as you know, a fantastic female that, that you're taking care of, right? And this, this helps you stay in your prefrontal cortex. Whenever you're feeling compassion, you're feeling love, you're not in your primitive brain, okay? The primitive brain can be very self-centered. So we want to stay in like the thoughtful, creative part of our brain, okay? That can kind of think about our own thoughts, think about the other people's thoughts, okay? So you want to stay in that place and generating a feeling of compassion towards the other person, um, can help you do that. And then I want you to kind of picture in your mind's eye um, a Venn diagram. You know, like one of those diagrams that has like the two circles that overlap a little bit in the middle. And I want you to think of that as if it's almost a physical uh, space, okay? So if you were standing inside a circle marked on the floor, right? And so if the first circle is you, and if I was labeling the circle, I would write something like, you know, like badass doctor that loves her patient and wants to help her through this tough time, <laughs> right? And then the patient is in the second circle. 
that's marked on the floor, okay? And it's labeled something like patient that's having a tough time, okay? So these two circles, they overlap a little, right? Like in a Venn diagram. And this overlapping area is the space that you want to hold open for her. You are holding space for her. And so you want to meet her in that space, right? They're going to overlap. Um, and so that's where we're going to allow the compassion you have for her and her having a tough time. We allow that to coexist kind of free of judgment. Okay. And so, but I want you to think about like whenever you step into that shared overlapping space, that space that you're holding for her, whenever you step in, you are going to be wrapped in like a protective coating, <laughs> Kind of like Teflon, except that this protective coating is compassion, okay? Compassion for her or love for her and for yourself, okay? So whenever you step into this, this space that you're holding, you're holding space for her, you're not going to absorb anything, okay? Nothing's going to sink in. And the patient's going to step in. She's going to bring all of her emotions into that shared space, okay? But you, you do not bring your thoughts. You do not bring your feelings. You're there to help her through the tough time. And bringing your thoughts and feelings isn't going to help. So you, you leave those outside the shared space, okay? You only bring your love and your compassion and this judgment-free zone, okay? Um, but she can bring what she wants. <laughs> and so the important thing to know is whatever feelings that she brings into that space, these feelings are not going to, like, leach out of her and stick onto you. They're not going to start bleeding over into your circle, because you have that protective coating and you realize that her thoughts are hers and therefore her feelings are hers. They're not yours. Okay. So if she brings rage and denial and fear and grief, her emotions, they stay in the middle. They stay in that held space. Okay. Where you are meeting her with love and compassion and support, right? From that place of wanting to help her get through this. And when you leave, those feelings go with her or they stay in the middle. They do not go with you, okay? Um, so I think it's really helpful to like even visualize this as I'm talking with patients sometimes, okay? If you're a visual person. But I also find that just coming to a place where I am approaching her from a place of love and compassion, that I don't get, you know, I don't have to worry about that as much because I'm staying in that prefrontal um, complex part of my brain, Okay. And so, so we have to remember, like, her emotions are about her and her thoughts, period, right? They have nothing to do with you in this moment. And even if she tries to say that they have to do with you, they really don't, okay? And that's what I want you to know here. Even if, you know, she is having a really tough time and you're the, you're the person that's there in front of her that she feels that blame might help her okay so even if things aren't going in a way that you would expect giving negative news okay your only job is to hold that safe space open while she feels her emotions and it's not to take any of that out with you okay because that is all about her thoughts about what's going on it's not about you okay um and so you know it's okay in that moment you know to to open up that space to her, give her the news. And you want to hold that space open and be there with her while she feels her emotions, okay? And you want to acknowledge that it's perfectly okay that she feels that way. You may even ask her, what's going on for you right now? What are you feeling right now? What's coming up for you, okay? And let her cry. Let her be mad. 
while you hold on to your feeling of compassion towards her, okay? So holding space is where you literally invite someone to kind of speak and feel whatever they would like, and you respond with this support and this compassion and no judgment for what they say or what comes out emotionally, okay? Um, because you know that you were kind of protected by that Teflon-like coating of compassion, right? And that her feelings are hers. They are not yours, okay? So they do not come back into your circle whenever you leave. You were just present with them. You're allowing them to experience this really hard thing. And, you know, you were there for support. But then when the conversation is done, you step back into your full circle. You leave her emotions there, okay? Now, this isn't to say that you can't be sad for her because you could totally have feelings about your patient, about her diagnosis, and I encourage you to hold space for yourself while you feel that, okay? So whenever you think that's a good time, but not in the middle of trying to hold space for her, okay, um, or while you're trying to give her news. Uh, you don't want to be wrapped up in how you're feeling. Um, and so, so, but what I want you to know is that holding space is not another way to be a feeling stuffer, okay? <laughs> Holding space is a tool that we can that we can use to not take on the thoughts and the emotions of other people. And if you hold space for someone, then you also need to hold space for yourself. You know, maybe you need to do that every time after you have one of these tough conversations. And that's what you're doing. If you are if you're already doing a daily thought download where you write down your thoughts, you're allowing your brain to think all the things, right? And I want you to to really, you know, do that from a place that's free of judgment and from a place of compassion for yourself, okay? So if you're doing a thought download every day or you're writing down your thoughts or you're journaling or something like that regularly, I want you to pay attention. Like, are you judging yourself? Are you judging what comes out? Are you judging what's on the paper, okay? Because I want you to practice what we talk about here and start applying it to yourself and, and knowing that if you hold space for yourself, it still applies a judgment-free zone. This from a place it's from a place of compassion, right? Because you should be offering your yourself the compassion and the love and the freedom to feel your emotions without judgment before you start offering that to other people. So when you do your thought download and you write down a bunch of stuff, go back and read it, circle the facts and note the thoughts, right? Or highlight the thoughts, whatever you want to do uh, to differentiate. Most likely, everything is going to be a thought. There will be very little facts, okay? So that process of noticing what's on the paper, I want you to start noticing how you feel towards those thoughts because those thoughts aren't you. They're just sentences running through your brain, okay? That, that doesn't make you you, so you don't need to judge that. That's just, that's just kind of the, the junk that's running through your brain sometimes. Like, it's just fluff sometimes, okay? It's not... It's not on purpose very much, okay? So then whenever, you know, you get into that habit of, okay, I can see that's a thought, that's a thought, that's a thought. Okay, there's a fact or a number. <laughs> okay, thought, thought, thought. Like you're like labeling your thought download. Whenever you get into the habit of labeling thoughts and facts and feelings, right, you can start doing that towards other people even, okay? So I think that that's helpful whenever I'm having this tough conversation that, you know, if someone responds in a way that's very negative maybe or that is maybe even um, aggressive or angry towards me, then I will remind myself, yeah, she's having a lot of thoughts about the information I just gave her. 
and a lot of feelings about that information or about the thoughts, you know. Um, and so, so this helps me remember that, you know, my patient's feelings are coming from her thoughts and her thoughts are not my thoughts, right? And so the other thing I want you to know or realize, I guess, is that we often think that we're already good at this skill when really we aren't, okay? I used to think that, oh yeah, well no, I hold space for my friends all the time and people come to me um, for advice <laughs> all the time, right? And so, so we think that we're holding space whenever, you know, like a friend calls us to vent, right? But the tool I'm teaching you today about holding space looks different. So when your friend calls to vent about how, you know, it's taking forever to get her patient delivered and how if only the patient had gotten more Pitocin, maybe she would have had her baby earlier and now she has a fever and it's all because of this one kind of meanie nurse that wouldn't listen, <laughs> right? I love all my nurse friends that are listening, okay? So nobody's nobody out there is a meanie nurse, but you know, that's how our brains get sometimes whenever we're venting, right? We want to blame other people. So, so if that's the story your friend calls you up with, what usually happens in that situation? you well, usually you're going to jump right in and start like agreeing and 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 yeah everything's awful and and maybe even like together like you jump in on the blaming of the meanie nurse right like oh yeah i had a similar interaction last week and it was awful and by the end of the conversation you know nothing nothing has like de-escalated it's more of it's escalated and you're just both so frustrated that you know, the only solution is that we should both quit our jobs and drink margaritas on a beach, right? And so this kind of friendly venting session or bitch session, it's not, that's not holding space, okay? It might feel like what a supportive friend does, and that's okay. That's totally, totally fine, right? This is, um, this is not holding space though, okay? It's more of you're jumping into that emotional misery pool with your friend to keep them company, right? Like, hey friend, um, hey, I, I know you're miserable, but I'm just going to jump right in there with you and we can be miserable together, right? It's like a misery loves company kind of thing. Um, but what I want you to think about is that whenever you just jump right in, it's hard to bring someone out of the emotional misery pool when you are both there. <laughs> if you're both in there, you're treading water, you're fighting the undertow, it's not easy to help someone, okay? So holding space is not like having a vent session with a friend, okay? So holding space for a friend with this type of conversation might look a lot different, okay? It might look more like, you know, she calls and she tells you how this awful meanie nurse is and, and how if only she turned up the Pitocin, your, you know, her patient would be delivered and now she has a fever, and so holding space would be thinking of your friend with just compassion and support and responding instead of with added complaints, responding with something like, wow, it seems like you're pretty upset by how things are going, huh? Right? And then just letting her talk. Maybe she says, yeah, I'm really frustrated. I haven't seen my kids in the evenings all this week. And here I go on another night of not seeing them. Right? And so holding space for her is letting her vent and letting her feel what she feels while you kind of let her know that it's a safe a safe space to do that, okay? Maybe you respond like, yeah, that's totally valid. I see that. Like, I bet you miss them. I can see why you would be super frustrated right now, right? And she responds 
maybe with some tears, maybe with some heavy, deeper emotions, right? Maybe she responds, yeah, I miss them. And I'm worried that they'll wonder where I'm at in their lives. But I know that they love me and I, and I love them. But this job just sucks sometimes, right? She feels like she can open up. She can feel her emotions in that moment because you have allowed her to have that space. You have allowed her to say, this really sucks. And I feel really, really bad about this. And you've said, hey, friend, it's okay. Tell me, tell me how you feel. Tell me how it is. You know, you validated those emotions, okay? And so holding space isn't about fixing another person's problems. It's about letting them feel and letting them, you know, experience their feelings without judgment or without shame. And it's about connecting with them, allowing them that safe space to process their feelings while also protecting yourself so that you're not dragged into that emotional misery pool too, right? So holding space, whether for a friend or a patient, it's not trying to fix the other person's feelings, okay? It's not about trying to find a solution. It's not about giving them advice. It's not about trying to control the situation so that they can feel better, right? Because, you know, whenever a person gets a cancer diagnosis, they are feeling a lot of intense feelings and they're trying to make sense of what you just told them. They aren't ready for a plan of how they're going to move forward, right? And sometimes we, we as physicians, we want to move straight into like, let's fix it. Let's, let's make a plan. How are we going to move forward? We're going to tackle this, right? Which can be very invalidating, okay? And so what I mean by that is like, have you ever felt really upset and you like want, you like go to your spouse or a good friend and, and you want to talk to them and just like tell them about it, but they jump into like wanting to fix it. And you're like, wait, 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 that's not that's not what I need. I just need you to let me get this out. <laughs> right? So it's the same thing, you know, with, with patients, they're still trying to make sense of that diagnosis. They just need that, that space to be held without judgment for a minute. Okay. And so to put this into practice, I first want you to practice this with yourself. Okay. So doing a daily thought download, reviewing it from a place of compassion instead of judgment. Okay. Compassion for yourself labeling what you wrote out as, okay, that's a thought, that's a thought, that's a fact, that's a feeling, okay? And allowing yourself to identify how you feel as you read through that, right? Like, oh, whenever I think that, I feel frustrated. Whenever I think that, or I write that, or I read that, that thought makes me feel sad, okay? And so allowing those emotions to come up and not judging yourself, but being there for yourself with love, with support, with compassion, okay? That is the first place to start always, okay? So I want everybody to do a daily thought download always from that place of compassion, okay? Um, And then once you get to the office, once you get to the office and you want to start doing this, you know, if you know you're about to give some bad news, before you walk in there, I want you to clear your mind. Clear your mind of all the worries you have, of all the thoughts you have. Take a few deep breaths. Maybe even, I like to like sit, like open up a a blank Word document and just like type out a few sentences and then delete it later because I can type really fast and it takes me like two seconds to just like get it out, take some breaths, calm my mind. Um, But you want to clear your mind of what you think about what you're about to say, okay? You want to clear your mind of all the worries about how they're going to respond and just know that your, your job is to go in there and to 
help support this patient through this, right? Um, and so, you know, I, I will remind myself of that. Like, okay, my job is to love her and help her through this tough time. Like, as I walk in, I remind myself of that, okay? And then remind yourself you're protected in that, like, Teflon coating of compassion, right? And she's going to have a lot of feelings, but those feelings mean nothing about me, okay? Those are from her thoughts about her tough time. Those are from her thoughts about what, um, you know, what information I'm about to give her, okay? So you give her the news from that place of compassion, that place of love, and then you invite her into that space that you're holding for her. You give her some silence, you hand her some tissues, you sit with her, you allow her to process, right? And you give her some time while she sits with her thoughts. And there may be some silence here, okay? So you might need to work on feeling comfortable with having some silence in the room. You might need to learn on feeling comfortable with whatever emotion comes up from her. Because if you start allowing people to have emotions without just skipping to the plan, you know, or skipping to the let me fix it part, then different emotions are going to come up. And you have to be willing to be with that and present with that and know that it's not going to affect you right um and so so you know none of her thoughts and feelings none of that's about you okay and so what's going to happen is that she's going to be kind of in her mind in her thoughts and in her feelings and usually at some point patients will then ask you know what's the next step okay and once she has processed that, that is when she's ready to talk about the plan, okay? Now, some patients may need more time <laughs> or they need alone time, okay? I'll often ask my patients, like, do you need some alone time to process this for a few minutes? Or how can I best support you right now? Do you need more time to process this at home and then come back to discuss a plan, right? If they do need alone time, I'll give them a few minutes, tell them to crack the door when they're ready for me to come back. I'll go do something while they do that. Um, and I go back in and I ask, how can I best support you again? Right. And they'll usually want the plan or ask for what the next step is. But if they aren't ready to talk about that, I'll offer a visit in a couple days to talk about the next steps. That way they can process further. Um, because if they're not ready to process that, if they're not ready to, to get out of those thoughts and feelings and emotions that they're having and think towards like the next step, think towards the future, then they're not going to digest any of it, okay? So either way, I give them a plan of, okay, we'll come back whenever you're ready or, um, like, let me know whenever you're ready to, to talk about that. Um, and, and just, like, letting them be ready first cuts down on a ton of phone calls later on. <laughs> I would tell you that. So holding that space, letting her have feelings, whatever feelings come up, telling her that that's totally totally within reason validating that like of course you feel this way like that is that is very warranted in this situation you know um and but not jumping into the point where you are feeling all those feelings yourself okay and so so that's how you hold space for yourself or for a patient you clear your mind you approach them with love no judgment you allow the feelings to come up you offer validation for those feelings okay what you're feeling right now is totally allowed and totally normal and I'm proud of you for feeling it you know I'll say that to, to people I'm proud of you for for um, for acknowledging that you have that feeling even sometimes um, so ask you know what 
what can I do to support you? Ask them what support looks like for them right now, okay? Know that their thoughts and their feelings are theirs. They're going to take them with them back to their circle, and you're not going to take them back to your circle, right? And then afterwards, sometimes you still have to hold space for yourself to think and feel what you want to feel afterwards, because sometimes there's that debriefing that needs to happen. But I, I promise you that developing this skill can save you so much emotional energy, okay? Because you're not taking on the grief um, of every loss or every fear of, of you know, the patients with an unknown diagnosis, right? And so whenever you have to give tough news or news that is, you know, not what was expected, it becomes emotionally freeing, okay? And so I want you to remember that you know, this is not another way to stuff stuff down. <laughs> so practice holding space for yourself too. All right, friend, we'll talk next week. All right, bye-bye. Thanks for tuning in. Remember, you can always get more free help from me by going to my website, www.coach-miles.com and clicking on free resources. If this work has helped you and you're interested in learning more about getting out of burnout and up-leveling your life as an OBGYN, definitely check out my six-month coaching program, the Happy Gynecologist Group. You can always get more information on my website, coach-miles.com.